0: Episode twenty-nine of the build, also known as the one before episode thirty, and also known as the first episode under our new Blue Overlord medal. Uh, I was on Game Over Montreal with Andrew Berkshire on Saturday, Saturday, Saturday night against the Penguins um, when Metal was announced to the world. My opinion there was: I don't know what Montreal's thinking, but I love him, and not, that has not changed. Over the last few days. Um, He is weird. And that's really cool. Um, That's really all there is to it. He's a weird blue guy. With a mullet. And. A mustache. And the ends of the mustache are not connected to his face. They're like just flailing around. Um, Kay would like me to mention the shorts that he's wearing apparently. Because that's. Something I hadn't noticed because of, you know, the whole rest of him. Um, Part of me wonders if they're giving a friendly face to the reverse retro jersey because fans, going back to the last time they did this, and and you're still seeing it after one game in the new one, um, fans seem to think that the Canadians are, like, cursed when they wear blue. Um, Never mind the fact that they played New Jersey, who... As Jack Hughes said, was in the middle of a nine-game heater. And Jack Hughes' opinion on how they're playing should matter when he's playing the Canadians because he absolutely eats this team alive. Um, never mind the fact that the Canadians are not supposed to be good this year. And the year that they wore the Retro Reverse, they were like, once they started wearing them, the Reverse Retro the first time, uh, they just, they could not buy a win if they wanted to. Um it's not the jersey's fault. Everybody stopped doing that. Anyway, another part of me wonders if this jersey might be here to stay as a third jersey moving forward. They're doing like, uh, way too much world building for a jersey, by giving that jersey a mascot, for it to o- for the jersey to only be around for eight games because that's all the Canadians are scheduled to wear it this year. Um, I know some folks have said that, you know, and I, I got replies like this when I sent that tweet out was that he, I I wonder, folks wonder like, if it comes back, can they tweak it a little bit? Like I, I, everyone seems to think that there's like there's some red missing on this uniform. And I agree. Like the Canadians can't just be all blue. We need to have some red in there. That's why I kind of liked the other retro reverse because the striping, I think around the, 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 there was red in there somewhere. Um, but anyway, that's enough talk about Josie's. We have far too much to talk about. Um, let's get into some game deconstruction. We'll start with Saturday, on November 12th against Pittsburgh. Um, as of the recording of this show, that is the clubhouse leader for the most fun game of the year. Um, that was, you know, it was pretty tight checking the first little while. Um, I shouldn't say tight checking. I think it was there was four goals total by the time the game got to the third period. But, you um, the third period was absolutely off the walls. Um, like the first game they played against Pittsburgh, Montreal trailed often and consistently had to fight to to stay in the game, to get back in the game. And in both of those games, oftentimes Montreal outplayed the Penguins, who admittedly have struggled to start the season, but they're still the Penguins. Like it still matters that you're you're playing well against Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin and, and Chris Letang. Like it still matters that you're beating those guys. Um, Josh Anderson scores on his first shift back from suspension on a shot through traffic. I think it might be the first, the furthest shot Anderson has ever scored on. He was like, I don't know, he couldn't have been like three or four feet inside the blue line. Um, previous tank commander Jeff Petrie made another return to Montreal. Last time he was rough. Um, he took three, three penalties in that one. Um, you know he ends up scoring in this one on a weird bounce and Rickard Raquel scores on a deflection and the Penguins have the lead headed into the third. And then all of that just didn't matter. Caulfield scores 39 seconds in two minutes later. Malkins got one Suzuki a minute after that gets one. uh Brock McGinn gets another one 10 minutes later. So there was some time in there where nothing was happening. And then, Monahan scores forty seconds after that McGinn tally, and then Mike Hoffman seals it in overtime, who you know he was on a bit of a heater. I think he was in three games three consecutive games where he scored a goal. he scores on a really strong feed from Kirby Doc, who both andrew and i on on game over we th- like we were surprised he held on to it that long and that he was still able to make a play, and that Hoffman you know hadn't blown by the net at that point. He he kinda slowed up because he he that pass is gonna come eventually. Um and it gets on his tape and he puts it behind um who was in that Tristan Jari for the Penguins. Um Suzuki, Doc, Ghoulie, all two point nights Um and it's just it was a it was a fantastic hockey game. It's really like, you know, I know that the the the, the, the pro tank part of the fan base and I'm not anti tank, so don't don't get that twisted but there there's a difference between being pro tank and you know anti winning and i think a lot of people are anti winning which is fine it's it's a, i think it's a perfectly valid you know viewpoint to have headed into this season um but that's a game where you like like i i just think montreal was always going to win that game they outplayed pittsburgh up and down the ice we'll get into the, some of the numbers later on They were just the better team. They deserved to win that game. And it wasn't stolen by goaltending. Jake Allen, which I'll get into in a little bit, was not great. Um, But first, I want to touch on Caden Gooley. Because for the second time in his career, he draws the Crosby matchup. And he does not disappoint again. He holds Crosby off the score sheet again. He played him really tough. I just don't think he's really afraid of him. There was a play in the first period where neither one of them was really moving all that much. You know, they were skating, but they were they were around the side of the net. No one's really going all that fast. And Gouley just bowls him over because he can. Um, when Gouley's pairing was on the ice with David Savard, the Canadians controlled over 70% of the expected goals at five on five. That, especially when you know that, Sidney Crosby is the line that they're shutting down that's phenomenal it's it's it bears repeating that I think we're seeing something entirely abnormal for a rookie defenseman like we've kind of gotten used to it pretty quickly that like this is just who Caden Gooley is like he's just he's a very low maintenance out of the box player um and he's been that top defenseman for Montreal, I think, out of necessity. We'll we'll see when Matheson comes back where he slots in. Um, it would be really fun to see Matheson and Gouley because Matheson can play the right side um, despite being left-handed. I think, you know, we're going to have to monitor this and see, like, are we saying the same things about Gouley in three years when the expectations of the team and each player are different? Because right now it's sort of like, hey, he looks really good and that's really fun. And occasionally he'll goof up. You know, he made some mistakes in the in the New Jersey game. I think every defenseman on this roster made a mistake or two against New Jersey, but that's a discussion for a few minutes from now. Um, but Gouley's just passing everything with flying colors right now. He's, he's a rookie defenseman playing top pairing minutes for this team, this market. Does that make him a a top four defenseman if he's on another team? Probably not. They're probably not using him in that situation if they're a team that's trying to, you know, win a ton of hockey games. They've probably got better options, but that's not to say Caden is bad. And I don't think, I, I, do, I really do think that by the end of this, we're talking about him as a top-pairing defenseman. Like, he, five years from now, he is on the first pair for the Montreal Canadiens. And, you know, outside of Malkin's line, just as a, as a whole, the Penguins really couldn't get anything going. All games. So kudos to everybody on the Canadians roster. The defense played particularly well. Montreal controlled the high danger chances um, at about seventy three percent. So that's how many of the chances, of the high danger chances they got. Um, so I mean, just three out of every four high danger chances was going Montreal's way. That's really impressive. Um, again, I know Pittsburgh's struggling, but that's still the Pittsburgh Penguins. Like to a certain extent, like you have to give the Canadians credit for the way that they played some of the greatest players of this generation. Um, You can start to see the goaltending regressing for the Canadians. Allen wasn't bad, but he wasn't spectacular. Like we've seen him early on. Um, He didn't make any of those huge saves that we had come to like expect from him after those games against Detroit. Uh, He gives up four goals on 24 shots for an eight thirty-three save percentage in that game that's going to continue to draw that average down. I mean, it was already not all that high for whatever reason, but it's just going to keep going down. Um, and that's not to say that, like, he's he's playing poorly. I don't think he is. And especially in this game, against Pittsburgh, you saw that a lot of the goals were bounces, right? Like, the Petrie goal was a bad bounce off his own defenseman. The Ricard goal is a deflection. Like, I, I never really give goalies a hard time for deflections goaltending can regress without your goaltender playing poorly you just stop getting the good bounces you were used to getting bounces are it, it's just a bounces are the word that we use for luck right like he he had a lot of luck going for him early on on top of playing really well and now his play has dipped a little bit where he's not making those ridiculous saves but all of the bounces are also going against him so that's like, that's, that's sort of how a goaltender can, you know, regress to the mean, so to speak, without being bad. I don't think Allen's been bad. He's just not making the, you know, stolen goal save, you know, the, the kind of shots that have an expected goals of one, um, but he's, he's just okay. So we get a fun five, four overtime win on Saturday night, um, Right before Montreal's worst, one of Montreal's worst games of the season on Tuesday against the New Jersey Devils. To be fair, we'll start with the first period where Montreal was okay. They had uh, an edge in possession, about 58%, Corsi 4. Um, they had the edge in high danger chances uh, at 4 to 2, so they were controlling about two thirds of the uh, high danger chances. They have the the edge in expected goals for it at sixty five percent, and they get out of the first period scoreless against a team that's red hot like the Devils. You take that as a victory, and you make your way to the second period. Montreal, from what I understand, is one of the better period better better teams defensively in the first period. I think they're like top three in the league in goals allowed, but they're also like bottom three in the second period. And that's just where the wheels started to fall off in this one. Um, And you sort of started, you sort of started to see what the devils had been doing for the last 10 games. Um, 58% of the scoring chances for the whole game, 54% of the expected goals, 57% of the possession in Corsi. um, They just dominated. They just took over the top line for Montreal, Suzuki, Caulfield and doc really just had a bad game. It's not that they were just, you know, it's not that they were they were they were just passive on offense they were there were a lot of giveaways, a lot of turnovers um especially you know in the back half of the game because I think they got a healthy dose of Nico Heischer, who is a fantastic defensive hockey player. um I've really like just watching him play is really, really fun. um he's really you know, I don't think that's I, I, at least when he was drafted, I didn't see that being the kind of player that he was he he shut down the canadians really only consistent scoring line um and allen just got shelled in the second and third periods you look at those shot metrics um you know he ended up facing 38 shots in the game again that's just way too much for allen to be facing on a regular basis um he makes 34 saves on the 38 shots it gives him an 895 save percentage and it could have been a lot worse um uh, not to say that he made a lot of saves that were like, you know, him stealing the show again. Um but you know, the the Canadians just they just uh they just didn't look good in that one. Um and at the end of this cuz I I've thought, you know, like man, this this New Jersey team is really really good. Like how many really really good teams has Montreal played this season? Um so I looked at, at, at the time of this recording Montreal has played five teams that are currently in the in the top ten in the standings uh Toronto on opening night they won four to three Dallas after that they lost five two Winnipeg and oT lost three to two Vegas they lost six four New Jersey they lost five to one so against stiffer competition the Canadians have one win against the top teams in the league um, one win and four three regulation losses and an OT loss. They hung in there against Vegas and they hung in there against Winnipeg. But these are the games that the Canadians are probably going to lose throughout the season. You're looking for, if you're one of those people who's watching the standings, you're looking for, um, you're looking for opportunities for them to lose points. That That's the good news for that, that particular fan is that, you know, against teams that are, that have like true aspirations of being playoff teams and not just playoff teams, but contenders, they're not particularly strong against them. Um, the bad news for that, Montreal doesn't play another team currently ranked in the top 10 until December 10th when they host the Kings. Um, they have the Western Canada slash Seattle road trip before that. Um, Seattle and Edmonton are just outside the top 10 wouldn't surprise me to see them inside that group by the time the Canadians get there but in between now and then they have a very they have very soft matchups coming up Columbus twice in the next 2 weeks they're ranked 30 their rank starts with a 3 so you can just stop there uh, then they've got Philly, Buffalo, Chicago, San Jose, Calgary in no particular order I just wrote down the teams that they're playing so we'll see like, if the Canadians play down to their opponent um, because that's a, that's, a, that's a thing that teams do regardless of their place in the standings. They didn't do that against Arizona. They, they shelled Arizona. They didn't do that against the Blues, who were supposed to be good, but they just kind of have not materialized this season. Um, so that's sort of the next little while in a nutshell. Like, that's... Montreal's probably going to pick up some points against those teams that are really bad. Maybe they drop a few. Um, but as of right now, like until they get to that Western Canada trip, the schedule is pretty soft. Um, and you know, it's funny that Chicago game, that is a road game in Chicago at 2 pm on Friday the 25th of November. And that's for me fine because I'm an American and we have that day off because it's the day after Thanksgiving. But like I can't imagine a bunch of Canadians are gonna be able to watch that game. I don't know if that's a holiday in Canada. Um, But I always thought that that was kind of weird. When I was in college, the Canadians played a home game or played a road game against the Detroit Red Wings on Martin Luther King Day. And it was just like, I don't know that everybody gets that. Anyway, it's fine. Um, On to other news and notes. Um, Jonathan Drouin is out four to six weeks with an injury he sustained on November 5th against uh, the Vegas Golden Knights. He then played on that injury for three games. I know the suspensions to Anderson and Slavkovsky likely made things difficult with, you know, getting guys in and out of the lineup, but like you got like to play this guy while he's hurt in a season like this, knowing the history that he's had, I have a really hard time with it. Um, You know, I know that they were kind of just roster wise because of those two suspensions, they were just kind of, you know, in a really tough spot, but like, Man, like, maybe play seven defensemen. Put Chris Weidman back in the lineup and play seven defensemen and leave Jonathan Drouin on the side. Um, It's just another getting to the injury aspect of it. It's just another, you know, another hit to a guy who doesn't need anything else like this in his life. Like, I feel for the human being here in Jonathan Drouin. I know that, like, every time the Canadians tweet about him, there's just screaming and people just acting like complete weirdos. But like, he's a human being. He's really struggled. Like his, 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 you know, his mental health struggles are well documented to this point. I'm, 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 I'm hoping that, you know, he's able to come back from this, not, not for hockey sake, but for his own well-being. And that's all I'll say there. Um, UL Armia out short-term. He skated with his teammates on Wednesday morning and will not travel to Columbus with the team on Thursday. Um, Rem Pitlick was recalled from Laval to give them an extra forward in case something happens. I believe Montreal is able to send him back down um, within 30 days or 10 games, whatever happens first. I believe that's the waiver's rule. Um, I'm sure someone will correct me if I mess mess that up. Uh, Mike Matheson practiced in a regular jersey. I was not sh- I was. I was not prepared for that. Um, It likely means that his return to the lineup is somewhat imminent. The real question is who comes out of the lineup. Um, And not only out of the lineup, but like, is there room on the roster for them? The simplest answer is probably sending Jack down to Laval. Um, He's been fun, but like nearly all young defensemen, he could use some more time in the minors other than Caden Gooley. And, you know, it seems funny because I say that, and then I'm like, well, Caden Gooley and Jordan Harris are just shredding. But they're different hockey players. I would like to see Jacki go down and, you know, be, be coached on on his discipline. He's He's got 35 minutes in penalties, and I know some of that's fighting. 35 minutes in penalties is probably too much for him. <laughs> um, maybe Chris Weidman is a, is, a, is a body you could move to make space. But I I don't I don't think the Canadians have really any appetite to do that. Um, we just haven't seen much of Chris Weidman in the last little while. Um, I forget when Edmonds it was when Edmondson came back into the lineup. We just I think we saw Weidman once after that. But I I I think I believe this, and I think the Canadians believe this. They want to play uh, Kovačević instead of Weidman, um, and Kovačević. If you know, uh, Arpin Basu wrote a story about him recently that said essentially like the Canadians told him to find a place in Montreal. I don't think he's going anywhere, and Harris and Gooley aren't going anywhere. Maybe this is like the solution I had instead of playing hurt player, a uh, hurt forward in Jonathan Drouin. maybe you, pl- maybe you're playing seven defensemen for a little bit before like you have to make a decision. Um, I don't know that they have the roster space at the moment. I'm actually going to look right now. Cap friendly. We're pulling it up live. Um, Let's see. Canadians. No, I don't want to play slots. Okay. Um, They are at their roster limit. So in order to activate him, in order to activate Mike Matheson, someone is going to have to move somewhere. Um, And it looks like, yep. drewanne's already been moved to the to the injured reserve, so he's not a body that they'll be able to get any sort of you know um relief from in that sense um it's possible maybe Ram Pitlick goes back down eventually, but I think they want the extra forward in case someone can't go like it's man they're in a really tough spot with their roster construction it's just there's a lot of unmovable pieces here um so it'll be interesting to see what they decide to do um and that's all I have for that. Um, but I did want to get into um, Jeff Gorton's hit on the Tony Marinero podcast, The Sick Podcast. And if this seems a little uh, less organized, it's because it is. I didn't finish my notes, but I, I took notes. I, re- I watched the, the podcast. I took notes. Um, excuse me. And I, I transcribed some stuff, but I didn't put it onto a Word document. And that's where my brain lives. So excuse me if, if this sounds ridiculous. Um, I I thought that, you know, I thought it was a great interview. So if you haven't seen it, listen, if you haven't listened yet, go listen to it. I'll link it below. Um, it, Je- First of all, Jeff Gordon was at the Bell Center at 10 p.m. to do the interview because the internet apparently is terrible where he lives, which is very funny. and it. But it sort of just speaks to, you know... Another point that, like, it, it kind of surprises me how accessible the Canadians have made Jeff Gorton and, to a certain extent, Kent Hughes in their time being, you know, the the faces of the front office. It seems like Gorton is really comfortable being the face of this front office. He's not the GM. He's the VP of Hockey Operations, which, you know, under the last uh, front office, that was one person in both of those roles. But, like... Canadians PR has had Jeff Gorton on two podcasts with really long interviews since the draft. He did, obviously, this one with Tony Marinaro, and he did Bob McCowan's podcast over the summer. Um, so it's just, it's really cool. I, I, I genuinely enjoy listening to Jeff Gorton. I like his brain. Even if I don't agree with everything that he says, it seems like, you know, he, I, you leave every interview with him feeling like the team is in good hands it's possible we're still in a honeymoon period with these guys. And like, you know, it's not something that will, uh, you know, eventually we're going to turn on. them. like, I look at, I look at, you know, Toronto and I know I, w- I should stop doing that, but like Dubis and Kyle Shanahan for years, they could do no wrong. And now like, even though they're, they're building a very good team, it seems like a good portion of that fan base has decided like, Hey, you guys have to figure it out. I wonder how long that's going to to take in Montreal. Um, But I'll get into it. You know, they asked about... He was asked about Kent Hughes and their relationship. He said, you know, he said, to say we agree on everything, that would be a lie. But we agree on most things. um, The way we want to build our team, how we want to move forward, what we believe in. Um, the, The one line that I took away from that was, we're very different people. We challenge each other every day. You know, I think there was a lot of people who you know, the last, the last organization or the last front office consistently just brought brought their friends in. Um, you know, it, it, it was, it was basically Mark Bergman just hiring all of his favorite guys. Jeff Gordon and, and Kent Hughes have a relationship, but as, as you'll, you, you hear in the first, you know, the first press conference after he, Kent Hughes was hired, um, <laughs> Jeff Gordon laughed and he basically just said, Kent Hughes is not my best friend. like, they are, they are, they have a professional relationship together. Um, so that, I don't know that like that was geared towards quelling fears that like, uh, it's just more friends, just guys hiring their friends. Cause I, I never got that impression from these two. Um, but the question was asked nonetheless, and it'll be continued to be asked, honestly. And I don't, I don't necessarily think there's anything wrong with that. Um, he was then asked how good uh, Nick Suzuki can be. He says, uh, our organization feels very strongly that he's the number one center, um, which, you know, if you're, if, you, if you're on Habs Twitter, while it still exists, um, you know that the Canadians have been very um, interested in Pierre-Luc Dubois of the, uh, I almost said of the Columbus Blue Jackets. That's not right, the Winnipeg Jets. Um, you'll also know that the Canadians acquired Kirby Dock at the draft because they could not reach a deal with a Winnipeg for Pierre-Luc Dubois. So, you know, if Nick Suzuki is a number one center, then are we trying to acquire second line centers and third line centers? And if so, does that mean that Pierre-Luc Dubois is still something that they can acquire reasonably? Um, You know, is that a part of their roster that they think is set? I'm like, I'm like 90% certain that Nick Suzuki is a first line center. I want to see more, which seems like ridiculous considering how good he's been, but this season is still young. You know, he's under a new coach, well, a new-ish coach. He played under him last year. But I, I, I want to see more because like, to say number one center in this league, like, no, it doesn't automatically mean you're talking about the McDavid's and the Crosby's, but like, what's like the what's like the Mendoza line for a sec- for a first line center in the NHL? Is it is it Mark Shifley? Does that seem right? That feels right to me. That like he's probably like the lower end of like what you would want as a first line center. Maybe maybe Nazem Kadri. He's definitely a first line center. Like I wouldn't play him on the second line. If you play him on the second line, you're laughing, which is what Colorado did, and they're, they were ridiculous. So that that's just sort of the thing to consider there. I'm not saying that Nick Suzuki's bad or that he's overrated. I very much like him. I, I love that he's the captain of this team, and I think the Canadians do too. Um, on Marty St. Louis, he says even when he was playing, he was coaching. Uh, when he walks into a room, there's nobody in that room who can't identify with him. Um, and that I find to be like the 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 great equalizer for that team, right? Is that like Marty St. Louis went undrafted. Um, He, I think he was waived. He went unclaimed in an expansion draft. Like he was available in the expansion draft that saw Columbus and, was it Columbus and Minnesota in 2000? I think so. Um, When those two teams expanded, they had the option to pick up Marty St. Louis. Like they, they, and they passed on him. It's very funny. Uh, but like, and then after that, he worked for a roster spot in Calgary, and he worked for a roster spot in Tampa, and then he worked his way up that lineup in Tampa, um, all the way into being like a, a hall, an all-star, and a hall of famer. Like this is a th- this is a guy that you want around this team, and it's something that I've said, you know, since this this new front office has has been you know building around their their hockey operations department. Is you know surround all of the players on this team or prospects on this team with greatness. They should not. They shouldn't go like five steps in the Bell Center without running into like an absolute legend. And you've got Marty St. Louis and you've got Vinny Le LeCavalier and you've got Marie Philippe Pelletier. I hope they're not done adding to that. Like that's that's a great start, but let's keep keep adding to that. Keep, keep surrounding these kids with greatness and remind them of what they're trying to achieve. Um, and then the, the big meat of this was his thoughts on Cole Caulfield. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll read a bunch of this in full. I took some stuff out, but it's the, the gist of it is all here. Um, we've had conversations with Cole's agent about when is the right time and it's not going to, and when it's not going to be a distraction and he understands where we are. We want Cole to be here a long time, and Cole wants the same thing. I have no worries about Cole and being a Montreal Canadian for a while. That time will come, whether that's a week, a month, or two months. Don't worry about it. Cole's going to be here. Um, I never really doubted that Cole was going to you know, want to be here or not. I know that it's a legitimate fear with you know, American players, who went through the college system who are playing in Canada. It seems like they, at the first opportunity they want out um, Matt Kachuk being the last one, Matt Kachuk and Johnny Gaudreau, although Matt Kachuk was Canadian. He just wanted out of a Canadian team, but this, the gist is there that like Canadian teams have a hard time holding on to their legitimate stoop superstars. Um, but like, I never really got that impression from Cole Caulfield. He seems to really enjoy being there. I think them hiring his, his childhood hero in Marty St. Louis as the head coach is uh, pretty overtly trying to put their hand on the scale here. Not that there's anything wrong with that. Like, because for years we saw the inverse where the Canadians were picking the coach over the player. Now the opposite is happening. It's pretty cool. Um, on free agency in Montreal, he says, if you, want, if you want to play hockey where people care, you play in Montreal. Um, I think that that's that has to be the selling point moving forward. Like you know, he mentioned how last year they were thirty second in the league. They they played their last game and they get a standing ovation. Um, you know that that's that's how he's going to sell this team to this team to to incoming players. Um, on Kirby Doc, he says, uh, "I think we still think of him as a center," um, which to me implies that you know the wing is temporary for him. And that maybe that combination of Caulfield Doc and Suzuki is temporary, which, you know, is, I think, is the right way of looking at it. As much as we've enjoyed that line, like they shouldn't they should not stick to it just because, well, it worked before, because like, let's say like a few months from now it stops working, and it stops working for an extended period of time. You know, we're not going to sit here and say, well, it worked, it worked for like two weeks back in November. So we have to keep doing it. No. And I think that, you know, as Jeff Gorton very correctly points out, they have a luxury of centers right now where they can afford to put two of them on the same line because they have Dvorak, Monahan and Evans down the middle. Like they're very strong, not very strong down the middle, but they have enough depth where like that doesn't matter. Um, So, I mean, I, I, again, like as much as I've liked that top line, if it stops working, I would hope that they would figure something out. And, you know, I think Doc is going to want to play where the good players are. Um, so right now that is, that is on the wing, regardless of whether or not he wants to play center, he wants to be with those top centers or those top players. And that's what, that's also what kind of Gorton alludes to there, um. One of the more interesting things that that was said there, said in this interview that I don't think a lot of, like, you know, the aggregators have picked up on. Mariner asked him about Laval playing the same system as Montreal because a lot of of teams have their AHL team playing the same way as their NHL team so that it's a bit more of a seamless transition when they come up. Um, Pittsburgh is one of the teams that was, like, you know on that for a long time because you know guys like Gensel would show up and just already be in a full sprint. Or like, you know, the joke about the Mark Donks Mark Donks and Buzz Fibets, like that's how they made those guys is they were they they come up to the NHL and it's like they've already been playing there. Um but on Lavalley says uh on them playing the same system as Montreal, they're doing it. They're trying to play the same way. It's been a little bit of an adjustment because they didn't do it last year without Marty here. Um it explains the slow start for Laval. I, I haven't been following them all that closely, but I know they're not playing all that well. Um it that will that that needs to be left alone. Like they need to figure out that structure, that system and play the way that Marty wants them to play. It's probably also it's probably an adjustment for the coach too. Like the coach last year coached one hell of a team that almost made it to the 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 Calder Cup final. You know, so like it's got to be an adjustment for him, and then you've also got a, a bunch of young players who are showing up and playing their first hockey for the Laval Rocket, namely among them Justin Barron, who fans have not been, you know, they. It seems like fans have given up on this guy, and he's only twenty one. Um, I know that the return was Arturi Ryyninen, and that's what everybody's using to to justify it, which I don't disagree with. I, I mean, I don't disagree with that logic. I still really like Justin Barron I think that trade will will work out nicely for both sides, but to each their own. But it explains how why that team has started off slowly and that's something that is that is really really going to pay off. If they do it correctly, it will it will make call-ups feel seamless. And it will make call-ups feel like you can take a guy like like a a, a Jesse Olinin from laval and instead of calling him up to play on the fourth line well like what if you lost a second liner you could call linden up and put him on the second line it doesn't mess with anybody else's roles and it just allows him to come into that spot and know what he's supposed to do on a nightly basis so that would that's that's something that we kind of have to just that's that in the the in the, the the terms of the rebuild, that is a crockpot thing. We are leaving, we are turning it on, and we are leaving it until it is done. We are not looking at it. We need to wait. Um, on on Druin and Dadanoff uh, or Dadanoff struggling. Um, you know he. I'll paraphrase here. He says they're trying to find ice time, but there are young players in their offensive spots, and it's hard for offensive players to score when they're not on the top lines and they're not getting all the top line looks. So, you know, it sort of explains that. It sort of explains that, like, yeah, of course Jonathan Drouin and and Evgeny Dodonov aren't playing well. They're playing fourth-line minutes. Dodonov finally got power play time against New Jersey. Drouin was just starting to get it while he was injured, which is mind-numbing to me. Um, But that explains, you know, why those guys are having slow starts. You know, Dodonov finally got one against New Jersey. A spoiler alert for what's ahead. Um, But... Another thing that he mentioned was, was, you know, a winning culture. He said, I believe that a winning, that winning and a culture of winning is the way to rebuild the franchise around winning. And I think like a lot of people dislike that. You know, I saw, I saw a lot of message. I saw some tweets like, during the New Jersey game talking about how New Jersey had, you know, like, oh man, it's a good thing. New Jersey doesn't have that losing habit. It's like, or they have that, they have that winning culture it's like new jersey was bad for 10 years. like that's that's not good. they did have a losing culture. they got rid of it in the last 3 weeks. you know? you know how I know they had they had a losing culture or a losing culture. 2 games into the season, the fans are chanting to fire the coach. like that's a lo- that's a that's a fan base that's fed up. and credit to the devils. they're on one hell of a run. But it is just a run. We've seen teams win ten in a row and not make the playoffs. Buffalo, Montreal—that one year they didn't win ten in a row, but they went like nine, nine zero and one or whatever in the the first ten games. Um, I I do think he is right that that building a team, you know, n- n- building a team around winning and a winning culture doesn't mean you're always going for it. It doesn't mean that you are always trying to make the playoffs, or that you are you're trading away the future for winning. That's not what it means. What it means is that losing is still losing. Certain ways is still unacceptable. I'll give you an example. Against the against the Devils, uh, Josh Anderson, I thought he had a fantastic game. In the third period, he comes in, he goes hard to the net. He thinks he gets hooked and he the puck goes into the boards and he's going to be the first one to get there. He is turning looking over his shoulder yelling at the referee expecting to get a penalty. he because he's looking the wrong way, toe picks and goes ass over tea kettle into the wall. he gets up, plays the puck or I should say that I think the devil's got the puck they're going back the other way and on the back check. Josh Anderson is facing the wrong way. He's looking backwards and he's beaking at the ref. That's not a winning culture. That's that stuff that's not gonna hang out. Like that's that's not going to be here. I'll give you another example on a team that's not Montreal. JT Miller. I'm not gonna talk about his defense. Watch JT Miller for any extended period of time. His body language will make you sick. Like, he just hates it. That is not a winning culture. So that's what they mean. It doesn't mean that, like, the expectation is you win 82 games a year and you win the Stanley Cup every year. It's not what it means. It's about habits. It's about the way that you play, not the result it's not results-oriented. Did you, did you put your team in the best position possible to win? Because this team, even if it does that as it's constructed, it's going to lose a lot of games because it's not very good. So let's, let's, let's stop conflating a winning culture with, with winning every game. They're not the same thing. Um and one other thing I wanted to note just sort of on Jeff Gordon as a as an as an interview subject. I think he very firmly understands that that the um that the fan is not a participant in in the discussion, but we are the end user of it. Like Jeff Gordon knows that as he's speaking with Tony Marinaro, it's for us. Like we are the ones getting that. But not once did I hear him say some of the stuff that like Mark Bergman would say, where he's like, oh, trades are hard. I can't do like like him basically negotiating with us. You know, telling us how we should feel about things. If you want loyalty, get a dog. Like, that's not how Gorton speaks. He knows that we are we are part of our uh, he knows that what he's saying is intended to get to us. But we're not a participant in this conversation. And that's fine. We should, we honestly, like, we don't always have to be. At least when it comes to, you know, this sort of thing. And even when I don't agree with him, I still respect the thought process that goes through it. I mean, even at one point, like, he was talking about Caden Gooley, he praised the scouting team that picked him. You know, the, the, you know, he said the guys that were here before, they picked him. You know, they picked a good player. So he's, he's more than willing to, like, spread. Around um, the, the the congratulations on things that go well. Um, and I think he's just a really affable guy. Um, I'm still shocked that the Rangers fired him. <laughs> honestly like every every time I, I see him, I still see I still see the New York Rangers and and for him to be in Montreal I think is still just a, a massive win for the Canadians. Um, the fact that they were able to bring him in and put him in a position where, no, he's not the GM and it, because he doesn't speak French, but he is still in a uh, managerial position. And that's all I'll say on that. You can go listen to it. It's it's a really good interview. You can find it on YouTube, but I'll link it in the description. Um, real quick, I didn't write these down, but we'll do a quick um, back to the drawing board and a quick building blocks. Uh, I'll start with, a, with the back to the drawing board. Um, he was a building block a few weeks ago, and now he's headed back to the drawing board. Don't listen to the dog in the basement. It's not the basement. It's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's an apartment below mine. I don't know why I said Now I sound creepy. This guy was a building block a few weeks ago, and I'm removing him from that, and he's going, to the, the, he's going back to the drawing board, and that's Stefan Robida. And it's for one, one reason that I, that I need him to, to, to fix. The defensemen on this team, especially the veteran ones, but we've seen some young guys do it too, are way too comfortable clearing the puck up the middle of the ice. They're way too comfortable being below their their own goal line and trying to make a pass or a clearing attempt on the ice up the middle. and And over the last week and a half, two weeks, it has ended up in their net a lot. Saw it consistently against New Jersey, saw it a few times against Pittsburgh. I I've never played organized hockey. I have not I've I've played some pickup games here or there. I've never played organized, organized hockey, I've never coached. But I know one thing. When you're on defense, you do not go up the you do not pass or shoot or clear the puck out the middle of the ice. Cause if you if a guy picks it off. He's in a prime scoring chance, and it happens constantly. Watch for it in the next few games and see how many times, and I hate putting players on blast, but Joel Edmondson and David Savard are consistent with their their desire to go out up the middle of the ice. It's bad, and it's a bad habit that I think is is leeching its way into some of the young guys because I hadn't seen Arborzakai do it a ton and he started to do it this weekend or th- this last game against New Jersey. They need to nip that now. So that's it for the 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 back to the drawing board. Building block. I'm giving it to Evgeny Dodonov. He He was last week on the 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 bad side of this, he was he was back at the drawing board, and as with Mike Hoffman, he was also the drawing board, and then he was a building block the following week because he played well. Maybe this is the best thing for somebody. Just going on to the going back to the drawing board, they figure it out. The Dodonov against New Jersey, he played his best game as a Canadian. It sucks that the rest of the team around him was terrible, <laughs> but he scored. Um, you know, that and that was a really it was a good bounce, let's be honest. He's going to the right spot on the ice. He's going to the net, which is where you're gonna find goals. But Monaghan was attempting to shoot that puck, and it just bounced off a skate and went right onto the Donoff's to Donoff's stick. Like there's just He's not gonna miss. He had the whole net. Um But he also had a ton of chances in this game. Like he I think he's turning it around. I think like Gorton said in that interview, like he needs more ice time. He did get some power play time. I think he's he was on the third line in this game instead of the fourth line. That that's a discussion for another day. Why Slavkovsky's still on the fourth line, but again a discussion for another day. But Evgeny Dodonov, building block this week. I was I was having a conversation with a a, a friend of mine who's a Caps fan because Montreal and Washington are you know apparently appara- I, I think Pierre LeBrun had, had mentioned that. They've had preliminary trade discussions. Um, Dodonov would, I I think would would benefit from a change of scenery, honestly, um, and I think Washington could find a way to use him effectively. Um, there's a team that needs that needs some help right now. They're they the Washington Capitals are struggling, um, so maybe that's a fit. Um, I don't think you should buy a Dodonov jersey in Montreal you know, a, a Canadian's to don off jersey because I don't think he's going to be here all that long. But he scored. So there's that. All right, I think that's all I have. This went much longer than I thought it was going to. Um so- socials. You can follow me on Twitter at maybe it's Ian at Rabbit Habits for the um almost entirely non-existent blog. Also, I'm going to put a link down below to a Discord channel that I started called Habs Twitter. In the in the event that Twitter becomes entirely uh, like it just disappears overnight, um, you'll have a place where you know folks from Habs Twitter will hang out. will wait for the next Habs Twitter to be created and then go there. Um, the Discord will probably still stay up. Um, I do ask if you go to the Discord, just be nice. Use your head. <laughs> I'm one guy moderating it. I hope to one day have people who can mod it, moderate it for, with me. Uh, but I'm just one dude. Like, just just be nice. Um, the music you're listening to now is Inside by Fred Mugg. Check the description for a link to his Bandcamp page. Uh, check out all his other stuff. It's really good. All right, guys. I'll see you in episode 30. Bye.